this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. And what we're going to do this morning and next Sunday is we are going to take a fresh look at the classic Christmas story from Luke. We're going to be in Luke 1 today and Luke 2 next Sunday on Christmas Day. And so we're going to take a look today at the fact that nothing is impossible with God. And that is the message that we see in verses 26 and following of chapter 1. Let's look at God's Word together. The Bible says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that nothing is impossible with you. Father, I pray for anyone who came here today feeling like they need a miracle. They need your intervention in their lives. Would you speak today with clarity and with power and would you show us things from this incredible story which we had never seen before show them to us in a fresh way and we pray it in Jesus name amen well more uh, things are going to be bought online this Christmas than ever before which for guys like me is really terrific because the whole concept of of uh, of shopping without going shopping is the perfect kind of shopping okay and so, and my favorite kind of uh, shopping undoubtedly is for books. And so, I'll tell you, I look forward to those boxes of books showing up. I've placed my order and they show up on the, the front stoop and uh, kind of open the box carefully, make sure I don't cut the books, and then open the books and smell those pages. I mean, it's just a great experience for me. Um, but increasingly, I find myself these days just, just clicking a button and the book just downloads and it's there automatically I don't get to smell the pages I, you know, I miss that but I, the, the book is just it's mine in seconds but here's the deal just because a book is downloaded 
doesn't mean that the book is read. And when it comes to the Christmas story, this is a story that has been downloaded into our culture, but I'm not sure how many Americans have actually read it. And what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is not only read it, but dig into it. And so let's begin doing that today. What do we see here in chapter 1? The first thing that we see is that this story is history and not mythology. It's history and not mythology. Let's go back to the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, where Luke tells us here in verses 1 and 2, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us." So note here that Luke says, "...what I'm about to tell you is eyewitness testimony." And it is about things that have actually happened. Things that have actually been accomplished. And this brings up something very crucial. And that is that Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not sort of ideas for living. Christianity is about news. It is about good news. It is about things that actually happened. A few years ago, there was a, a movie called The Polar Express, and I remember taking the kids to it when they were small. A beautifully choreographed mo- movie and beautiful music and everything. Um, but I remember that the, the main sort of line that ran through the Polar Express is the phrase, just believe. And I think in our culture, that that's where a lot of people are when it comes to matters of religion, matters of faith. Just believe. But what if what you just believe happens to be false? Luke here is not telling us to to just believe. He's not just, he's telling us, he's not telling us here to take sort of a blind leap of faith in the dark. He's telling us to believe in things that actually happened. In in, in good news that, that actually was accomplished. God became a real person who was born in a real place at a real time who lived a real perfect life who went on to die on a real cross and was buried in a real tomb and rose with a real body and is really coming again to really rule and reign. That's the good news of Christmas. It's history, not mythology. Second, we see here that it is the fulfillment of Scripture. What we see in the story of Christmas flows directly out of the promises of the Old Testament. And we're going to see that as we sort of walk through this text together. So let's do that, beginning in verse 26. The Bible says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this is the sixth month of what? Of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. And earlier in chapter 1, we see this amazing story of um, there's this elderly couple 
uh, Zechariah and um, Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest in the temple. And one day he's given this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The priests only got to do this one time in their life to go into the Holy of Holies and to uh, light the incense. And so he goes into the most holy place that particular day and he sees the angel, Gabriel, standing on the right side of the altar. And Gabriel uh, announces to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son, a very special son, and he is going to make a way, he is going to make a people prepared a people prepared for what? For the Messiah. Let's continue walking through in, in verse 26. It tells us here that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Gabriel is one of only two angels who are named in Scripture, many other angels, but only two are, we see their names, Michael and Gabriel. And we don't know exactly what Gabriel's appearance was. I think it's pretty safe to say he didn't look like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. Love that movie. Um, I'll probably watch it this week, but I don't think Gabriel looked like Clarence because when he appears to Zachariah and to Mary, uh, they're both pretty... Kind of, they're terrified. I mean, they're because this angel is so awesome. And so, uh, Gabriel is once again on a mission. And it goes on to tell us here in verse 26 that he was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth where Joseph and Mary lived, was so obscure that Luke feels the need here to inform his readers that it's in the region of Galilee, (laughs) because most of them wouldn't have even known. It was so obscure, so tiny. And already we're seeing here in the story that God's not writing the story the way we would have written it. And sometimes maybe you feel like your story is not playing out the way you would have written it. And sometimes maybe you don't understand what God is doing. But you can understand that He knows what He's doing. And that His story for our lives is full of surprises. And He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we can ask or imagine. What else do we we see here in this... an incredible uh, text. Verse 27. We see that Gabriel was sent to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now already, Luke is very intent to stress the Davidic connection here. That Joseph is, is of the house of David because Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament. And this being from the lineage of David is part of the promise that we see in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel and chapter 7. We see there that the Bible promises, that God promises to David. He says, 
When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now the near-term fulfillment of that is seen in Solomon, but the ultimate fulfillment is seen in Jesus because God is promising to David here that he's going to make one of his descendants a forever king. That can't be Solomon. No, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Davidic Messiah and, and king. We're going to talk much more about that in just a few moments. Look at this greeting that Gabriel gives to Mary in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This greeting in Greek, greetings, O favored one, two of the words there are forms of the Greek word charis or grace. And this is cluing us in from the very beginning that this story is all about God's initiative. God coming to us. God's pure grace. This is not us kind of cooperating with God. No, this is God coming to us by grace as a gift. And then in verse 28, Gabriel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. Isn't it interesting that he says this to Mary in announcing the birth of Jesus and Jesus says it to us just before he ascends to heaven. He says, I'll be with you always. What more do we need, ultimately, than his presence? And then in verses 29 through 31. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. Jesus in Greek. Yeshua in Hebrew. And it means the Lord is salvation. Salvation from what? Deliverance from what? From our sins. In Matthew's account of this, in Matthew 121 says she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Listen, our sins are an offense to a holy God and he is morally obligated to punish them. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes the punishment on himself and dies on the cross as our substitute. And the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf is right at the heart of this story and right at the heart of the preaching of the early church. Notice what Paul says as he summarizes that early Christian message in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus died for our sins in Jerusalem. He rose from the dead in Jerusalem. 
and one day he's coming again to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Verses 32 and, and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now again, Luke is very careful to show that this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We've already seen here that Jesus is descended from the house of David. And now we see here that he is going to reign on the throne of his father David. And Luke isn't done in stressing this. Look at what he says at the end of this chapter in verses 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Look at what he says in chapter 2 in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house and lineage of David. Again, in the preaching of the early church, in Peter's sermon, on the day of Pentecost, what does he say in Acts 2, 29 and following? Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb as with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, as the Apostle Paul introduces his gospel at the beginning of the book of Romans, what does he say about the gospel? He says this is good news concerning his son, Romans 1, 3, and 4, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The New Testament writers never forgot that Jesus was not only Lord of the world but also the Davidic Messiah of Israel. It's crucial to understand that. Sometimes, you know, as, as Gentile Christians, we, we tend to forget this or to downplay it. But you see, we need to understand that Jesus is not only Lord of the world, but he is also Israel's Messiah. He is the Davidic king. He is the Davidic Messiah of Israel. And just because we Gentiles get to be included in on that, does not mean that we have replaced Israel. It does not mean that God is going to abandon the promises that he made to the Jewish people. It doesn't mean that at all. Now it is true that Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's not a separate plan for salvation for Jews and Gentiles. We're both saved the same way. But that does not mean that God is just going to drop all of these promises 
that he makes throughout the Bible to Israel, to the Jewish people. It does not mean that. It does not mean that the church has just sort of replaced Israel. That is unscriptural. It is untrue. It's arrogant. And frankly, in a lot of cases, it borders on being anti-Semitic. Dr. C.E.B. Cranfield, Charles Cranfield, British New Testament scholar who wrote probably the most acclaimed scholarly commentary on the book of Romans, says this. Dr. Cranfield says, It is only where the church fails to understand God's mercy to itself that it is unable to believe in God's mercy for still unbelieving Israel and so entertains the ugly and unscriptural notion that God has cast off his people Israel and simply replaced it with the Christian church. It is not so. God is not done with Israel. He will fulfill every one of his promises to Israel. You know, and if you can't believe that, then how can you, how can you be certain that John 3.16 is true? Well, I want to tell you the promise of John 3.16 is true. And every one of God's promises to Israel is no less true. Again, let's look at this in verses 32 and 33. He says of Jesus, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. Dr. Daryl Bach, probably the foremost scholar of Luke in the world, says, points out that the phrase house of Jacob never applies to the Christian church. He's talking here about the Jewish people. He's talking about Israel. God is not done with Israel. And Paul unfolds all of this so clearly in the 11th chapter of Romans. And we won't have time to go through all of it, but just a couple of texts here. First of all, in Romans 11:5, speaking of the Jewish people, his people, the Apostle Paul says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Throughout history, ever since the time of Christ, there has always been a remnant of believing Jews. Jews who accept Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul was a part of that remnant. And there has always been that remnant. But one day, that near the time of the return of Christ, that remnant is going to become a wave. And that's what Paul talks about at the, at the end of Romans 11 and, and verses 25 and following. He, he says to his readers here, uh, most of whom that were reading the letter to the Romans would have been Gentiles. He says to them this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, for the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, from a prophetic standpoint, all of this is really just spine-tingling. Because things have happened in our world, and particularly since the end of World War II, that are simply incredible. I mean, we can see, we can, it's like we can see God just putting the pieces in place for the return of Christ. 
I'll mention three of them to you. Okay, first of all, just since the end of World War II, what are we seeing? We're seeing the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Right? Paul says here that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and then God's going to turn his attention once again and do this incredible work among Jews. Well, what's happened in the past 50, 60 years? Okay, more unreached people groups are hearing the gospel like in the past 50 or 60 years than heard it in the first 2,000 years of the Christian church. The fullness of the Gentiles is coming in as unreached people group after unreached people group are hearing the gospel. And so, and we're a part of that, right, as we pray and give and go. And so the fullness of the Gentiles is coming in. What else is happening? The Jewish people, since the end of World War II, are being regathered in their promised land. In World War II... Six million of them were murdered. And then, at the end of the Second World War, something miraculous happened. May 14, 1948, the modern state of Israel came into being. And the, the pilgrimage of Jewish people back to their promised land, which had been happening at a slower pace, pace for a few decades before that. It, it, it just began to happen rapidly, and it's still happening rapidly as millions of Jewish people are coming from all over the world and being regathered in their promised land. And they're speaking Hebrew again, Hebrew, a language that had been dormant for thousands of years. They began to speak Hebrew again, and they began to change their names to to biblical Hebrew names and, and reestablish Jewish culture in the land that was promised to them. And Israel is a miracle. It's a military miracle. How it came into being, how it's been preserved, surrounded by enemies. It's a military miracle. It's an economic miracle as it's just on the cutting edge of, of technology in the world today. It's an agricultural miracle. The land was a wasteland, you know, a hundred years ago. Now, once again, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a miracle. Stunning. So you've got fullness of the Gentiles coming in. You've got Jewish people being reestablished in their land. And then last week, what do we hear about? We heard about the fact that God is beginning to pour out His Spirit on Jewish people in the land. The messianic movement in Israel is growing faster. I mean, there are more Jewish people that are believing in Jesus as Messiah now in Israel than there have been since the first century. These are amazing things. And, and, and all of them indicate that everything is being put in place for the return of Christ. Listen, if you're not ready for the return of Christ, then friend, get ready. Because everything is being set up. It could happen any day. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of the King? It's going to be a miracle. As is the virgin birth. Verses 34 and, and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You know, if you believe in creation and you believe in resurrection, you shouldn't have any trouble believing in a virgin birth. You know, God created Adam and Eve without a sexual act. He raised people from the dead without a sexual act. If God wants to create life in the womb of a virgin, He can do that. It's just not a problem. He specializes in miracles. We reach times in our life when we need a miracle. If that's the case, then pray to the God who performs miracles. Nothing is impossible with Him. Look at verses 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The Dutch theologian J.J. Van Oosterzee said this, The laws of nature are not chains which the divine legislator has laid upon himself. They are threads which he holds in his hand and which he shortens and lengthens at will. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary here, her submission to God, to the will of God, is just sort of a model of faithful discipleship. You know, when we get to the point in our lives where we get off, you know, quit trying to play God and just let God be God, then we're beginning to get into a healthy place. When we just get to the point where we say, you know what, I'm not in control. I am, I am not in control at all. God, you're in control. I submit to your will. That is a healthy place to be. And, that, and that's, that's where Mary is here. And Tim Keller tells about a, going to a conference as a young Christian that was life-changing for him. And... At this particular conference, a speaker confronted the group with two questions. First, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? First question. Are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Second, Are you willing to trust God in anything He sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Are you willing to trust God in anything He sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Now, if if we can't answer both of those questions affirmatively, then, you know, we may have believed in God in sort of a conceptual way but we are not being faithful disciples. Mary here is a model of faithful discipleship. Daryl Bach says this, In the middle of all this drama stands Mary, God's listening, humble, willing servant. God can do great things for his cause and can use anyone or anything to accomplish it. Mary is ready to be such a vessel. Are you? Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be faithful disciples. 
We thank you for this story. We thank you for the way that it strengthens our faith by just showing how it is the fulfillment of your precious promises and that you can be trusted to remember your promises. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that just came just in need of a special word of encouragement. I pray that you would speak to them by the power of your spirit right now and just remind them of your great love for them and that you are faithful to remember your promises. I pray for anyone here today who doesn't yet know Christ as Savior and King. Lord, would you open the eyes of their hearts to respond, to trust in the good news of your Son. And we pray it in His name. Amen. If you're here today, God's speaking to you about a relationship with Jesus. If He's speaking to you about being a part of this church family where we serve the King together. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and we just want to invite you to come. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just share with me what God is doing in your life today. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.